Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, we're speaking with Kirill Skrigan, who's team lead of JetBrains Rider, a .NET IDE developed by JetBrains. Hi, Kirill, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hadi. How are you doing? Great, great. We are making another great EAP for our product. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. You're out of Munich, right? No, right, right now I'm in Munich. You're right in, Munich, in Munich, yeah. Mm-hmm. How is it? Is it cold there? Not so cold as in Russia, of course, but still, it's like minus one or maybe zero, but oh. it's okay, it's doable. And I thought, I woke up this morning and it's like 14 degrees and I'm like, oh, it's too cold. I can't put up with this. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're working as team lead for a product at JetBrains, which is called uh, Rider. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us briefly what Rider is? Rider is our new .NET IDE. It is cross-platform. And um, what it, what is interesting about uh, this is that it combines two of our major products, the ReSharper and an IntelliJ IDEA. So we combine these two and make the... Um, use C-sharp.net ID uh, with all the feature set of both ReSharper and IntelliJ, IntelliJ. And yeah, what's also interesting is that to combine these two, we had to invent the new architecture of the ID. And this is, I find, very interesting. Yeah, and we'll get into that. So essentially what the uh, rider is, is a cross-platform uh, .NET ID, and you said C Sharp, but it is also uh, Visual Basic .NET, right? Yes, it's also for Visual Basic .NET. It's also for all kinds of web that is supported already in ReSharper, like JavaScript and CSS and TypeScript. And because, as I as I said before, we are combining these two, we can take what we can take from IntelliJ. So, for instance, Rider supports SQL. And um, uh, we can take some WebStorm goodies as well to yeah. ReSharp or to Rider. Yes. And, and uh, it's based on IntelliJ platform. So the first thing that comes to mind, and, and of course, you're on the show here because Kotlin plays a part in this, right? And we'll get to the Kotlin part. But the first thing that comes to mind is, wait a minute, IntelliJ is a platform which is built on the JVM and you are creating a .NET IDE, which is built on, well, targeting .NET and C-sharp. So why would you kind of mix these two worlds together? Like, why? Yeah, this is a great question. When we were thinking about making our own IDE, we had actually three options. First option was to make it from scratch, uh, just on intelligence just as another IntelliJ-based ID to write the parser, the uh, syntax tree analyzation, all this, tons of this stuff from scratch on IntelliJ ID and just on Java. Uh, and maybe it is a good option, I don't know, but obviously it would take us um, like, I don't know, 10 years to rewrite all this functionality from scratch in Java. So the second option was to get ReSharper, but now not as a plugin to Visual Studio, but as a standalone uh, process, uh, which can be used as a service. 
and uh, we can also take IntelliJ as a front-end, as a lightweight front-end that communicates with this service, ReSharper as a service, we can call it like that. And together we will get all of the, all like this ReSharper, tons of its features uh, in one or two years. And uh, yeah, it saves a lot of time for us because we are not rewriting all these numerous features from scratch. Instead, we're just, we're just connecting these two. Um, and when you say running ReSharper as a service, just, just so we get the picture, is this running like as an HTTP service or is it running as a process? How, how does that work? Uh, theoretically, it can run as even as an HTTP service and can be used for, for instance, web IDE. But in Rider, it's running locally on our machine, on, on user's machine. And uh, yeah, just as a, as, a, as a process. And it, uh, maybe it's a very complicated talk, I don't know. But so these two are communicating with our own protocol, actually also written in Kotlin. And uh, with this protocol, these two are communicating with each other. Yes, so. Okay, and, and let's, we'll get to the protocol, but the, let's take Kotlin into the picture here. So you have, on one side, you have a IntelliJ platform, which is written mostly in Java. I mean, the majority of the code base is still in Java, despite some things being converted to Kotlin. And then you have ReSharper running as a service, which you said, can either be hosted as an HTTP or just run on the user's machine. Where does Kotlin fit in here? Like, where are you using Kotlin now? Well, firstly, we write our own rider-specific code on top of IntelliJ. And all of this is being written in Kotlin. Uh, secondly, the protocol I mentioned before is also written in Kotlin. Uh, what is the protocol? The protocol is uh, how these two processes are communicating with each other. The innovation in our protocol is that we're not transferring their simple data there and back. Uh, it's not transient. It's actually our protocol um, allows us to to get a mutable state on both sides of these two processes, IntelliJ process and the sharper process, and to yeah to operate with this with these states simultaneously from both sides. Yes, to, to do this, we um, will make a DSL, a simple DSL, to uh, write down the model entities which we gonna which gonna be in these mutable states. And this DSL is also written in Kotlin. Okay, so taking a step back, let's say that I am, you know, I, I because I want to kind of get a clearer picture of what this protocol actually defines. Let's say that I am in IntelliJ IDEA, right? Or, or the front end, in your case, in Rider. And I am communicating with the back end with ReSharper. So essentially, what you're saying is that all of the functionality in terms of refactoring, in terms of inspections, etc., are being handled by what you already have with ReSharper. And then the front end is Rider based on the IntelliJ platform is kind of the UI. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Okay. 
So when I do something on the front end, let's say, for instance, I refactor or move a file, what is the actual process that is involved here? What, what happens under the covers? Let's say you click Alt-Enter. It's just more easy to describe than refactoring. <laughs> so for instance, you, yeah, there is a notorious feature Alt-Enter, both IntelliJ and Sharper. You click Alt-Enter, and because all of these complicated tasks are being done on the back end, not in the front end. Um, let's say you send a signal to the back end, please show me Alt-Enter um, when I'm standing on this carrot offset. The back end does all the job. It like analyzes the file and uh, calculating the items, right? And it sends back just the view model representation of these items, not more. So it's going to be like, I don't know, for instance, five items with an icon ID and with a text. And with the ID, with with this ID, we can know how to, to execute an item. That's it. It's very, very small amount of data. Uh, the front-end receive, receives this and displays the alt-enter to the user. So the user will see the alternate. When the user clicks on, on the specific item, again, we send a signal to the backend and the backend performs everything it, have, it has to perform. It depends on the specific context section. That's it. So yeah, so basically we were transferring only the view model of the ID we're trying to do this. It's not actually true, but in most cases, yes, it's true. Okay, so let's say that you've got this view model. So you're basically saying that when I click on a menu item, it's going to go to the back end. Resharper is going to give you the options that are available. It's going to send that back to the front end. The front end is going to display it. You then click on an action. It goes back and forth. But we're talking source code here, right? So the view model that you speak about is kind of representing the menus. What about the source code under the covers? It, how is that interacting with the source code? Oh, with the source code? Well, um, firstly, uh, on the on the front-end side, you have to communicate with the, with the protocol. So you have to say to protocol, like, send this action ID, receive this alt-enter um, alt stuff. All this is written in Kotlin. How? For every view model uh, part of the IDE, whether it's Alt-Enter or Find Usages or Solution Explorer menu or even text and a caret, we have our special so-called hosts. The hosts, specific hosts, are responsible for synchronization, the view model between backend and the frontend. So all these hosts are are written in Kotlin. This is they they we could write them in Java, but in Kotlin it's much more easy and fun, of course. Uh, these hosts from one side they communicate with the rest of IntelliJ API. For example, to display the Alt-Enter pop-up, you have to apply to IntelliJ API or to find the, to display the usages we got from backends find usages we also have to to call IntelliJ API on the other hand it communicates with a protocol 
which is also written in Kotlin DSL and is generated to the Kotlin generated files. So these hosts, yes, again, they are written in Kotlin and they are like a mediator between the IntelliJ on one side and its API and a protocol. Okay, and this protocol that you keep uh, speaking about, you, you've kind of invented your own protocol. Now, some people listening might say, why reinvent the wheel? Why not use something like JSON or why not use something like uh, protocol buffers? Well, why invent your own? Firstly, because we, we can control easily everything. Uh, secondly, performance. Serializing and deserializing JSON might might cost something, but thirdly, I th I think this is the most important thing. With our protocol, for instance, let me give you an example. Like if you have a go to menu, you have go to search everywhere or go to class, for example. You have uh, five items in your already calculated menu. When you modificate your input string and two more items are added to this menu without protocol because there is no signals like five items there five items back <laughs> as i said before actually there are like five items and they are synchronized between back end and the front end so with this approach when we add two more items they're just added on the back end and the front-end listens to just two of them, not seven more. So with this protocol, with this approach, everything is, is being done strictly incrementally. Uh, this Using is, deltas, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah, just delta. So we transfer just delta. This is first point. Second point is when you have a state on each, each side, you can attach to this state at any moment. And this is very, very convenient. So for instance, it's very it's very important for IDEs because we have IntelliJ with its own life cycle when something is ready and something is not ready and something will be ready in one minute and we have a resharper with its own life cycle. And if we don't have a state, we would write the code like, Hey, I'm IntelliJ, I'm ready to receive this. Hey, I'm Resharper, now I'm ready to receive this with the signals. This is very error-prone practice and we're not doing this. Instead, we're just IntelliJ, for instance, or Resharper. They don't uh, transfer anything, they just uh, modificate the model. And the second part is just listening to this model and attaching to this because it has state. And why the Kotlin DSL? Like, have you actually created a DSL to represent this or are you just using Kotlin just as is as the language? Well, um, we created our own DSL with Kotlin. It's very easy, very easy. And um, yeah, so we are defining these models that are being synchronized with with this simple DSL. Then on the build step, we generate um, the real generate Kotlin generated files 
from this DSL. And these generated files are used from, as I said before, these hosts. Um, to for the .NET part, for the backend, for the resharper side, uh, these DSL models are also used, but our generator generates C-sharp code for that side. Okay, so that's interesting. So basically, you've got a DSL where you define the the protocol. Well, the protocol is defined, and you define the interactions. And then, as part of the build process, this DSL is generating a set of files in Kotlin so that you can consume it on the front end, and then a set of files that is generating C sharp that you consume from the back end. Is that correct? Yes, exactly, exactly. Cool. And how hard has it been to generate C sharp based on a Kotlin DSL? Not very hard. I was not the guy who was who was writing the generator, but it doesn't seem to be very hard. And you are your background is C sharp, right? Right. And right. and how do you find Kotlin have it coming from a C sharp background? Well, to be honest, I was a huge fan of C sharp, and actually, I took part in lots of holy wars, like between C sharp and Java, of course, on C sharp side. And when I started to use Kotlin, I was very suspicious whether I, it, it will be good for me or not. Right now, I can surely say that Kotlin is my favorite languages language. Why? Uh, for me personally, the the power of Kotlin is in its extensibility and flexibility. We have some guys in our team that can that use and they have to use Kotlin as a very you know brief language. For example, the protocol stuff is very. I would say scientific. <laughs> it's very complicated, and there are one is being it's 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 written. It's very rare when someone can modify this code, and uh, this code is written in very brief style, uh, and all this, as I said, protocol with all this asynchronous stuff, tasks uh, uh, can be. Yeah, one can read it very easily on one side. On the other side, uh, it's not very, you know, gigantic. Uh, the hosts, as I said before, are more like typical production Java code when you have to deal with lots of stuff with the whole wor world around you. And it's very hard to write it down briefly like in Haskell, Scala, or in Kotlin, right? <laughs> So, uh, because the Kotlin is flexible, I can write here in a, like in a C sharp or Java style this part. So, there are another part of Kotlin for us: tests. Uh, we're writing our tests for uh, for either with um, with our own it's so-called scripting API. Uh, it's also another DSL written in Kotlin. So it's another use case of Kotlin for us. And all these three use cases, they operate with the same language, Kotlin. So it's very, very flexible for us. And I think this is why it's my favorite language right now. So talking about this testing, where, so you know that I've, I started working on a, a testing framework called Spec, which is kind of 
similar to uh, I don't want to say the word BDD, but it's kind of like a BDD framework if if that even existed, which it doesn't. Uh, but it's similar to Jasmine from people coming from JavaScript, etc. I know uh, from inside information, obviously, that what you guys are doing in terms of testing isn't anything related to spec. Could you tell us a little bit more in terms of what exactly the testing is, what what you've created with the scripting language for the testing aspects? Yes. Well, um, well, the problem is that both ReSharper and IntelliJ have very, very complicated IDEs. Uh, ReSharper has more than 50,000 unit tests. IntelliJ has, I think, even more. Uh, that's cool, but <laughs> just with this unit test, we cannot control Riser because it's even more complicated to combine these two. So we need to write easy functional tests for Rider. And what we did, we did a special scripting API so the tester can write the test like in English. For example, press open editor, press enter, type this, call completion, complete it, and test. Um, with Kotlin, with its maybe it's so-called Lambda with receivers. It's very, very handy. It's very easy to write. And uh, yeah, actually our tests are looking like a, like an English, like English. <laughs> so you're essentially using, you've created another DSL that is describing exactly the user actions of what the user would do when they're hitting Alt, Enter, etc., and the response and the expected outcome, right? Yes, and uh, this is very convenient for our testers to write tests because they're just like for months. One of our testers, uh, she wrote, I don't know, maybe 100 of these fully functional tests for all kinds of com code completion, for all kinds of auto pop up and uh, all these complicated use cases because it was very easy, like type. Type as you as, as you see. Moreover, moreover, I can say that um, we invented a special what's so called recorder. So recorder is embedded in into Rider. It listens for every user activity, and uh, the recorder generates these scripting Kotlin scripting tests uh, on the fly. So you actually press on, do something complicated, which causes an assertion or an exception or a bug. So you do something, then you press stop and you get the test. That's it. So that's interesting because I was actually going to ask you, because from my understanding, this is a really specific DSL, right? Because it's focused around the, the domain, which is, you know, an IDE, actions of an IDE, right? But when I'm, when I, create a new functionality that potentially I need to test and there isn't the corresponding DSL for this. Is this what the recorder would be doing or the recorder is just basically generating the test for you uh, for an action that you, you just want to test so you don't have to write it manually? Um, the recorder operates with IntelliJ API. Yeah, this is why it's specific. So, but it can understand the major, the basic actions. 
um, for instance, typing, right? Some of some of code completion or document bugs can be found by, for example, typing something very very fast or typing something very slow, or typing and then making a selection with the mouse and then pressing something. And uh, these are basic actions um, in terms of IntelliJ. All of these can be recorded by the recorder and therefore they can be generated and translated to the test. So then when someone files a bug, let's say that someone files an issue and says, hey, if I type really fast and hit Alt-Enter, I get some you know, access violation or what have you. Are you saying that even, for example, support engineers or testers could basically tr click on this recorder and try and simulate this and then get a test that is outputted that you could include as part of your build process as absolutely. kind of a regression test? Ab absolutely. But to be honest, uh, the, the generated code is very close to the production code we will uh, to the production testing code will uh, include um, except of the waiting time before actions because the this generated code will look like press p wait and then for example i don't know 136 milliseconds then press u then wait and and all these waits will be between these uh, be between these actions, uh, they these weights can be of course uh, understood by the by the test infrastructure, but uh, this test would be huge, right? Um, and just just typing a single line will be like I don't know three files, and this is not appropriate. So what testers can do, they can look at this. And they can easily, I don't know, remove all the weights they want or save them if they're not confident these weights will, if they think that these weights will be important for the test. So they are free, free to use the script further. But it does kind of make it much easier for developers when they're trying to fix a bug to kind of now have a unit test on which to start with right a, a failing unit test in a sense yeah 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 you're right right you're right uh, because a lot of times you know the the biggest issue is when you're fixing a bug is when you don't put that unit test in place it's going to cause a regression you know at some point a regression will appear breaking that that's very cool that's true. By the way, by the way, it's actually yeah, it actually works for us. Some of of the bugs are opened like in tests. Yeah, sure. And these tests are easily written by our testers. That's cool. And I know that this is very specific, obviously, to the domain. But is there anything in there that, I mean, are there plans to open source this in any way or whatever? At least uh, kind of a, a generator to allow people to kind of create their own DSLs to do this kind of thing? Or is it just too specific to, to what we're doing? Uh, yes, we have plans to make, an, to make it open source. I mean, the whole protocol with a generator, with this DSL, with all, all these goodies. Uh, the thing is that we have the EAPs pretty frequent right now. And the whole team is working really hard on Rider itself. 
and uh, to make it open source we have to bring too much effort for this but we will do this and well i think we'll do this during this year hopefully okay and just to clear up uh, to listeners eap is the early access program which is kind of like the early alphas or early betas of of jetbrains products okay and then you said that after you ship 1.0 you will revisit this testing frameworks and the dsls protocols that you have and look at potentially making this open source yeah yes maybe before but i cannot promise this <laughs> okay cool so the uh, people that are listening and interested to this can be on the lookout for that awesome well it's been great chatting with you kirill thank you for taking the time and uh hope to have you on the show at some point again where you discuss more deeply the the protocols yeah thank you Hadi. it was a pleasure yeah take care